So welcome back to Leaders Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Tanner Campbell, who is the host of five podcasts and counting. He's a course creator, media consultant, and basically lives and breathes everything to do with podcasting. And he's definitely not afraid to share his sometimes contrarian views as well. So uh, I'm very glad to have him on the show. Thanks for joining us, Tanner. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, so Tanner, let's get kicked off. Why don't you share a, an approach, tip tool, a strategy that you think that other people in consulting should really consider? Well, you kind of gave it away right there, uh, which is I, I share a lot of contrarian views and my suggestion wouldn't be to be contrarian uh, so much as it is, is to be willing to speak your mind as it really is. Your opinions on the goings-on in your market, in your industry, whatever those may be. Keep them clean, of course, whenever possible. Uh, but if it, if it is divergent with what the mainstream thinking is, if you truly believe it and you think it would benefit people to know it, I think being honest about where you think your industry is is probably the thing that's helped me to build a brand the most out of anything I've done. Aside from the work, I think people come to me for who I am. And they're rather attracted to the to the fact that I'm not saying the same thing that everyone else is saying. So uh, a mentor of mine, Nancy Marshall, who is the owner of Marshall PR in Maine, in Augusta, Maine, she used to tell me, you know, a strong brand attracts the right people and repels the right people too. And if I have any advice, I guess it would be Nancy's advice, which is what I just said. Yeah, excellent. I'm curious, like, is this something that you conscientiously thought about? And, you know, started out articulating certain points of view that divert, diverted from the mainstream. Is that something you set out to kind of do? Or is it just something that you noticed seemed to put you in a better position when it came to establishing, you know, your voice in, the, in a crowded market space? I would honestly say neither. I think it's just the way that I have, all, for whatever reason, perhaps I had a privileged upbringing in that way. I was always encouraged to say what I thought. I was told that lying was one of the worst things you could probably do in representing yourself or representing a situation. And so I think I've just always been, again, for whatever reason, acclimated to being straightforward and forthcoming with my thoughts and and having never been, well, not never been, <laughs> but not too frequently been in a position to be punished for my thoughts or be in a position where I sh couldn't share them freely. I, I did attend military academy for uh, for a few years so uh, as a high school student. So there were, in those instances, I couldn't exactly share my mind uh, as freely as I would have liked to. But with that exception, I was always in a position where I could share my thoughts and they were usually celebrated. Uh, and even when they weren't, they weren't the sort of thing that got me in trouble. So I think I just gained a comfort uh, with doing it. And so when I started to notice that doing it was helping me from a business standpoint, I felt rather right at home, really. I thought, oh, well, that's great. I don't have to not be myself in order to be successful in this line of work. Isn't that good for everything I've ever learned since I was a kid, right? Isn't that an alignment? So, so yeah, it wasn't something that I recognized and then leaned into. It was just something that I had always leaned into, fortunately for me. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's actually something that when we talk to people about getting them as guests on other podcasts, which is one of the things that my agency focuses on, one of one of the things we encourage people to do is think about what are those points of view they may have that 
go against what the industry is saying or or just make them stand out as having something interesting compelling to say uh on a show that might pique uh you know someone's attention when they're looking through potential guests are like oh okay this person believes this thing which is slightly unusual so that's definitely a, a good thing to lean in do you have any good examples of um you know maybe in obviously you know podcasting is the industry that you you focus on a lot um are there any you know contrarian views you'd like to share that you've articulated over time i think that because podcasting kind of came into its own as a artistic medium more than anything else i think a lot of podcasters at the outset there were definitely business podcasters there jason falls a friend of mine is an example of that but i think that most podcast creators were artistic podcast creators who wanted to have this new fun hobby. Uh, and I think as a result of that, this medium of creation, be that business creation or not, is very, I guess what I, <laughs> I hope I don't sound bad when I say this, but it, it's very soft hearted. It wants people to feel good and feel included. And it's a very kind and inviting space. And that's good. Uh, but sometimes it can lead to the kind of you know, wishy-washy advice that is more aimed about making you feel good and hopeful um, than it can give, than it can focus on giving you practical advice that's actually useful. So, and not to suggest you can't be soft-hearted and hopeful and also be useful, but I think that something that very quickly made me stand out amongst my peers was that I wasn't going to offer you the hope of making a million dollars as a podcaster. I was very quickly going to tell you that that was very, uh, very, very unlikely. Very, I would use probably a curse word in that. And I'm not going to say that on your show because I think you have a clean show, but that would be very unlikely for you to do. And if that's what you want to do, you're going to have to suck it up, buttercup, and you're going to have to double down and put your nose to the grindstone. And all these other people are just selling you hope. And that might be good for their business model, but it's not good for you. And so as soon as I established myself as somebody who was willing to call that out, I think that there's a certain kind of person who is typically my client uh, who sees that and says, oh, this guy isn't going to BS me. He's going to treat me like a drill sergeant would treat somebody. And I, I referenced military academy in my high school career might be part of the reason for that. Uh, but you know, I got so much utility out of that experience that Maybe it made it into my uh, my mind of opinions that just being straightforward, honest, and sometimes tough on people can do more to push them further than uh, than to just be kind and soft with them all the time. And so, for whatever reason, that's how I am, and that is an example of something that set me apart from you know you say contrarian. I would just say differently minded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and. And one of the key areas that you focus on is is podcast marketing, in which you know you sort of alluded to. Sometimes there are these sort of generic platitudes that people put out there. And that's something that I find is increasingly common, actually, with podcast growth and marketing. It's it's a hard thing, but a lot of the time, most of the general advice people find when it comes to podcast growth or marketing is just kind of the same standard nope. thing. Just start. Just start. That's a that's a big one. Yeah, but I, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a lack of deep expertise, which I think is you know where someone like you comes in when it comes to slightly more advanced techniques than just the generic like make your show better or like I've seen things like that where it's like how helpful is that? Right, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I think part of that goes to what I was saying earlier about this starting as, you know, very much the independent artist way of creating as far as audio was concerned. Of course, that means that most of the people who are in the space, you know, they might have the experience of their own podcast, but they probably weren't marketers beforehand. They probably weren't, you know, they, they probably don't have the kind of information one needs to be good at marketing in the first place, regardless of medium. And when they do have success, this is something that I see happens a lot. And I see it a lot amongst uh, podcast coaches or podcast consultants. I, I try more so to refer to myself as a media consultant because I think that the term coach is a little loaded. Uh, you know, mentor can also be a little loaded when podcasters or podcasting is in front of it. I think what we have is when you have somebody who finds success as a podcast, and let's just say success is $10,000 a month in gross revenue. That's, it's hard to pull that off. You need, well, I won't dive into it, but that's hard to pull off. And if you can do it once, that's pretty incredible. But if you do it once, you don't really know how you did it because you've only done it once. And that's not a system. You don't have, you haven't reproduced those results. But what happens a lot is that you'll find someone who posits themselves as, or rather positions themselves as a podcast coach or what have you, consultant even. And the truth of the matter is that they've had success once and they have no idea how to repeat it. They've just attributed their actions over the course of how many years to their success. And that's not always true. Until you can do it three times, five times, 10 times reliably, and you can identify within that growth, the things which were always present and in the times you failed, they weren't present. So you can identify some core concepts that need to be there, some core strategies. And then there's always, of course, an X factor. And any podcast consultant who, who tells you that there's a guaranteed way to make you successful, to make you money or to escape your day job so you can be a full-time podcaster, which is, of course, the dream for podcasters, right? Anybody who tells you there's a definite way to do that is either very overly ambitious or lying through their teeth because every podcast that has ever found success, yes, they may have good quality. They may have good content. Uh, they may treat their, they may have great engagement with their community, but you can have all three of those things and go nowhere. There's always an X factor. And the best thing you can do is make sure you have those few things in line, have some money for marketing, have a good community, be producing good original content in a niche that's not flooded and be truly competent at doing it. All you can do is make sure you have those things and hope that you have the X factor because nobody can promise you that. And I think that's another thing that set me apart within the media consult uh, consulting space in as far as podcasts are concerned is that I'm saying that out loud and other people are not saying that. They're saying, no, we'll make you a top 100 podcast. Well, I could make you a top 100 podcast in probably less than four days. There's a trick to doing it, but you'd, it wouldn't be real. It would be a manipulation of charts. And ultimately, if you couldn't sustain that position on your own, you would just be constantly paying me to fake it. So you could have, I recently did an experiment where I had a podcast out for uh, 30 days. I think it had a total of 300 downloads or something per uh, per episode per day. It was a daily podcast. So it was doing okay. And I tried this. I'm not going to describe it because it's a manipulation of the charts and I don't want anybody to do it. Uh, but I tried this process and within 48 hours, I went from not charting to charting at position, I think 75 in the top 100 
of my category. And then as soon as I stopped that manipulation of charts, it went away. So, you know, there are people who are out there who are selling solutions like that. It's like, I'm sure you've probably seen the same thing for becoming an Amazon bestseller. There's also a way to manipulate those charts. And there's just a lot of that kind of consultant out there hanging their hat on these kind of cheap things that are really just, uh, let's call them um, vanity metrics, I guess. And they're not actually teaching you how to do anything and be successful on your own because they don't know how. Yeah. It's funny the you, you mention gaming the Amazon charts. It reminds me of, I once had a friend was in the erotica writing business. And one time there was, there was some sort of controversy about, I think it wasn't, it wasn't Amazon, but it was like WH Smith or somewhere basically messed up their algorithm and showed consumers what was really charting uh, on the bestseller lists. And they basically ended up with erotica all over their, their homepage for their, you know, digital book section. And so there's a bit of controversy. So, so he basically pivoted into um, sort of animal romance. And uh, <laughs> I just thought it was kind of funny. And, and as a, as just a sort of a fun thing to do on the site, I, I started trying to see if I could help him basically promote his, his book. And so as a, you know, I would, I would just sort of, I thought it was a funny story. And so I shared it amongst my friends and I got, I got all my friends to basically download this free ebook he had. And there's this thing on Amazon Kindle where you would, what it, authors would do is they would try and, and get people to download their free ebook and they would flip it to paid. But by that, by that time, they basically pushed it up the charts enough so you could flip it over. And we managed to like get his uh, animal, first animal romance book pretty high up that free chart before flipping it over. So, so I, I won't tell you how to do it, but I will tell you the trick to it is that all Amazon, not Amazon, sorry, Apple podcast charts, they're not so much popularity charts as they are trending charts. If you can manage to increase your listenership by a fixed percentage episode over episode, then you will continue to climb the charts. But eventually that percentage becomes such an obscene amount of new listeners episode to episode, because it's easy to go from you know, 10% of one to 10% of a hundred to 10% of a thousand, you could probably manage those increases. But when you have to increase 10% once you already have 10,000, well, that's a very hard percentage to jump, right? So uh, there are people will hire bot farms and I'm, I'm sure your listeners probably have some concept of what that is to go and kind of fill this role. And the scheme on the side of the bot farmer, so to speak, is that as you grow in order to maintain, you must pay more money. So, so always be on the lookout for these people who jump into your LinkedIn inbox and say, I am a podcast promote. Like It's always in terribly broken English and probably written by a robot. It's tough out there to find people who really, I think, know what they're doing as far as growth and marketing is concerned and, and podcasting and, and me calling that out and being competent in it is something that's given me a little bit of an edge. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, there's a good episode on Darknet Diaries where... Uh, they did do a little bit of investigative work, uh, don't they? Around uh, you know who's behind those those bots and the uh, those messages in your DMs and slightly broken English sometimes. It's interesting. I'm curious. Are there any you know you mentioned uh, some marketing experiments there? Are there any examples of clients you've worked with that kind of stood out for you in terms of you know something they were able to create with your help that really helped them kind of stand out from the crowd and you know any any particular like really interesting kind of case studies that that come to mind 
So I do have NDAs with yeah. every single one of my clients, but Fair I can enough. be vague. Yeah, sure. I do have a podcast that I that I worked with about a year ago, and this is really the first time that this concept struck me. And that was, well, I won't say what the podcast was about, but it was a corporate podcast. And the idea was, gosh, we really like to stand up a revenue vertical through monetization, through ads. And it would be really hard to do that if we just had an episode every Friday or every Monday. But I wonder if it might be easier if we had an episode every day and it was 30 minutes long and we could fit so many ads in it and we could grow it to such an extent. What do you imagine, Tanner, that might cost to grow that audience to, let's say, 10,000 listens per day, per episode? You know, cumulatively over the month, we would average it out and it would be 10,000 an episode. And, you know, I said, oh, it would probably cost you fifty to $60,000 worth of marketing budget to make that happen. But if you could make it happen, you'd stand up a six-figure vertical in probably a year and a half. And so that was the first time that I had ever come up with that idea. It was the first time I'd ever implemented it. And it was the first time it ever worked. Uh, and that's one of the things that kind of launched me uh, into consulting for brands is that I had success with that brand. And that brand said, this is great. Many other brands would really like you to do this for them. Uh, and I kind of became the best kept secret until rather recently where I just started sharing that information because other people were beginning to figure it out anyway. And you know, listens cost money. I think that's the big controversy in podcasting today is that there's still space to create a podcast and make it just on the, you know, on the back of your good content. And without any celebrity, you know, cele celebrities can surely do that. Uh, but without any serious celebrity or huge brand backing behind you, those days are just over. I mean, sure that you might get very, very lucky one in a billion or something, but those days are gone. And the controversy now in podcasting is that money, much in the way that I kind of just described, money rules the charts. It rules who gets discovered. It rules who's going to get share of ear more than other people. And if you're not willing to spend it, well, you're kind of doomed because everybody else is spending it and they're spending a lot of it. Uh, the days of what, what we maybe would have called indie podcasting, you know, like little guy, little girl, artist podcasting, those days are gone. And I think that passion podcasters, I would call them enthusiasts or hobbyists. I think that they really don't want to admit that. And there's a big resistance to the idea that, you know, I should take out a $100,000 loan to launch my podcast business. And all I'm going to do is create content, but that's the legitimate way to start a business. Now you could have a podcasting business, take out a $80,000 loan from your bank to start that business with a proper business proposal and all the nine. And, uh, you could come back and be profitable in a year and a half with that spend, but that's what it takes now. You're not just going to start a podcast, be great, and then create those same verticals, especially as a brand. It's actually harder as a brand because there's a, there's a trust issue when you're a brand versus when you're just some guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think also just looking at you know shows that are in the top 10, 20, and so on, it's quite obvious that most of the shows there are either shows that have been there for 10, 20 years, uh, or they're, they, they're basically part of a big network. Yep. Yep. They're iHeart, they're Amazon, they're Wondery, sure. Yeah. Or they have the financial means to get there. Well, well once you're a network show, that is actually the finan financial means because, yeah. so for example, let's say you're a network, I won't name any, but let's say you're a network with 40 shows on it. 
well, every time you onboard a new show that has reasonable talent, you've got 40 shows to advertise it against, and you could basically stand up a million-person listenership audience in pretty much no time flat if you're a big enough network. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Another thing that you sometimes – this is something that I, I've come across. I'm curious if, if you see this as well, that a lot of the time people tend to have their perception slightly skewed about what they they listen to themselves or what they see on the top of the podcast charts and think, oh, that's what success looks like. Um, mm. And that perception of theirs gets skewed. They don't necessarily see the, the more niche opportunities out there. Is that something that you find yourselves, you know, having to kind of explain or walk people through or help them understand? Yeah, it's definitely something I have to walk people through and help them understand. And I have a great story for it when I have to because my own podcast or one of them, a podcast called Practical Stoicism, uh, is is what I would consider to be an extremely niche piece of content. It's a philosophy podcast. It's specifically a Stoicism philosophy podcast. And of course, that's not going to be popular. Who cares about that? But it is, of all the podcasts that I own personally and that I operate, it is by far the most successful. And that's an example of underserved niches. I mean, you jump on the front page of any of these um, main platforms, be it Spotify, Apple, or even some of the smaller ones like Overcast or Player FM, the suggestions you're seeing are quote-unquote popular suggestions. Well, popular doesn't necessarily mean interesting to you. It just means interesting to a lot of people. Uh, So I think that whether you're a brand or an individual, a lot of people don't consider the fact that there are an immense amount of underserved niches. And uh, this isn't meant to be a political statement. It's just a very matter-of-fact statement that the conservative niche in podcasting, not in AM radio, they've got that locked up, but in podcasting, there are not that many conservative podcasts. And if you were a conservative who wanted to start a podcast that focused on conservatives, you may well uh, be able to do that much more easily than if you were going to create another ex, uh, you know, uh, inclusivity kind of podcast of which there are many and that seem to dominate a lot of charts. And again, not a political statement, just a, a matter of fact. There are a lot of underserved niches. And if you can find them, if you can identify them and find them, you can have a much easier time. That Stoicism podcast I mentioned, that's an underserved niche. And I've been able to grow it to 300 and some odd thousand downloads a month, weekly episodes since January of this year. So just nine months. If I had tried to do that in the movie review podcast category, right, I could have never done that because there are too many of those. Uh, So it is important to identify not only the niche you're going to try to serve, but how you can serve that niche differently and uniquely. There should be some research that goes into it. Dive into the category you think you want to create in and listen to a bunch of them. How are they doing it? And how can I do it differently? Not better, just differently. How can I serve people who aren't being spoken to? Yeah, and sometimes it's a question of of saying, I I think this is really interesting, actually, when you look at, uh, I find it really interesting when you look at like daily news podcasts and how they're all slightly different from them, from each other. So you might have, you know, the daily is the one that's, done really really well and most people are trying to emulate in some some shape or form uh but if if you look at the alternatives you've got much shorter form the daily tends to do like a deep dive in one specific story others try to cover like a broad um but it's really interesting when you just look at if you if you're looking for you know an exercise in how brands position their their content just looking at all all the plethora of shows in that specific space makes you start to 
you know, it helps you kind of figure out, okay, if I'm going to do a show in this particular niche, you know, are people dying for something that's, you know, much shorter or much longer or more in depth? Is there an open space that I can just kind of take over and own? Yeah, there's a gentleman whose name I can't recall, but he wrote a book called The Marketing Revolution, I think is what it was called, something like that. And he talks about uh, the creation of new categories, how important it is to create your own category. And I don't understand the art or science of that so well, uh, but I do understand the power of, in podcasting anyway, quite literally, creating your own category (laughs) because all of them seem to be so incredibly flooded. Yeah, absolutely. Was it, it might have been Blue Ocean Strategy, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, there was probably quite a few books in that that particular area. Well, Tanner, this has been a great chat. It's always interesting to get your, your takes and opinions on anything podcast related. Can you tell people if, they, if they're interested in you know finding out more about the work that you do, is there anywhere good that they can go? Sure. I am. So you can usually search for me, just Tanner Campbell will pop me up probably every result on the first page. And if it doesn't, just add add podcasts to it. And I will definitely be every result on the first page. But I'm also known as Tanner Helps pretty much on every social handle. And if you go to TannerHelps.com, you can find everything you need to about uh, what I offer. I do not put uh, any information about my consulting on there. I am My client list is rather private. I'm rather private about my consulting, but you can always reach out to me through the website or at Tanner at TannerHelps.com. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Tanner. This has been a, a great opportunity to have you on and let's keep in touch. Thank you again for having me. Cheers.